Hello and welcome to episode 8 of The Amp, the regular podcast on manpower analysis bringing you the latest business insights, talking points and research from industry experts in the global media landscape. In this episode, Research Director Richard Broughton is joined by Toby Hilarion, Guy Bisson and Manal Moda. Richard and Toby first discuss some of the latest developments in cord cutting in the US. Guy then draws on Ampere's latest sectoral forecasts and the knock-on effect we're seeing throughout the media value chain. Finally, Manal looks at the rise of SVOD account sharing and whether there's an opportunity for platforms to convert these borrowers into paid users. You can subscribe to The Amp on Acast or find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts. To keep up to date with the latest industry analysis, stay ahead of the curve with The Amp Podcast. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of The Amp Podcast. I'm Richard Broughton. Today, I'm going to be talking to a number of colleagues about some of the facts, figures and trends in the media and communication sectors. I have with me Toby Holleran, who's going to be taking me through some of the latest issues around cord cutting. Guy Bisson is going to be talking about some of our wider long-term sectoral forecasts. And Minal Modha is going to take us through some of the research she's been conducting into account sharing. Toby, I'm going to start off with you. You and the rest of the team have been looking to ingest all of the latest Q1 financial figures from the the whole TV and communications industry worldwide. Um, What are some of the key themes that you've been seeing in in some of the numbers there? And I know we've talked about subscription OTT services a lot in the recent week, but how is how's the pay TV sector faring during lockdown? Well, one of the slight distinctions, of course, between pay TV and OTT is the contract length. So um, in an instance where mostly in OTT people are signing up en masse, pay TV, there will be, of course, be a bit of a delay with people who are currently in longer term contracts. However, I feel like people who are able to, in a position to churn their subscription, particularly in the US, are using this as an opportunity to, to do so. So some of those may be a bit more cash strapped if they've um, their employment has been delayed. So in the US, we've actually seen across the top seven or eight major pay TV players, we've seen a record almost um, two million net losses across subscriptions. So that um, the hardest hit there are um, Comcast, DirecTV and Dish at the moment, and that those three are to make up the bulk of the losses. So some, some bad news for the US pay TV market. Who's been? I mean, you, you mentioned a couple of a couple of companies there, Dish and DirecTV and Comcast. Um, Broad strokes, who's been worst hit in the in the US market? I mean, from the sounds, it's, it's satellite. Yes, yes, primarily satellite. Um, even like looking at our consumer data, one of the one of the strongest motivations for US consumers in take in taking a TV service is bundling. However, the Direct TV and Dish don't have don't have as much of an ability to do that as other operators who ha- who can offer broadband as well. So o- overall, Dish and Direct TV actually made up about seventy percent of the net losses in Q one twenty twenty. So you you mentioned a few reasons for why this might have um, accelerated now. Some it's income pressures uh, particularly. Yes. Um, but presumably consumers need need entertainment more than ever. What's what's going on right now in the US and you know, why are we seeing these record numbers now? 
in in part it will be due to ott services so not, not only are they grow um are they seeing growth but there are also offers that kind that are drawing consumers to cheap or free content so hbo released quite a lot of content for free for about a month period showtime and um stars are both doing discounted offers or extended trials and I, I, I expect there's also an increasing awareness of free-to-air television, which we may not have seen 10 or so years ago when um, pay TV penetration was well above, uh, was consistently above 80%. I imagine some of the sports um, suspensions would also have, an, have had an effect for, for a lot of the pay TV operators. You've, you've got to assume that some US customers will be thinking, well, hang on, why am I paying $70, $80, $90 a month? And not getting my my sports um, yeah. that I'm that I'm shelling out. Oh yes, definitely. So we're also, of course, we're seeing virtual versions of those tournaments. So um, NASCAR has very recently come back on television, but previously they were doing virtual versions. But the viewership on those was nowhere near high enough to offset the the kind of lost viewership of the the real tournaments. So that that certainly is a factor in churn. And then um, if ESPN, for example, that they've kind of released The Last Dance, which I believe um, the Michael Jordan documentary, which I think is getting quite a lot of viewers, but again, still not quite enough to offset the loss of sports. And and so we, we've, we've talked about the, the US a little bit, but I know the EU and the team are, are looking um, globally at, at the same sorts of trends. Um, Internationally, a lot of companies aren't quite as quick to, to publish as the, the US firms. So I, I know we're still quite early in the process. But what 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 are your what are you seeing in terms of the early signs for the pay TV market outside the US, so Europe or Asia? Well, um, so if we look at the UK, for example, so we've got Liberty Global's Virgin Media, which also operates in Ireland as well. So while um, again pulling back to the, the bundling factor, so um, in in the UK, Virgin's Media's um, cable broadband subscriptions have actually gone up, but whereas they're both um, th- this quarter, it suffered around 70,000 net net losses for its pay TV. Whereas in Ireland, where Virgin actually has a more attractive sports offer, Q1 may not be the best indicator for this um, due to some of the sports being off air. But um, that's actually seen net gains. So the kind of comparison there. And um, also in China, which may be more interesting long term in terms of the fact that they're one of the most heavily locked down countries. And there's almost a full quarter of lockdown where we can start seeing the impact on the sector. So the, the, the three largest players, China Unicom, China Telecom and China Mobile, they're still growing, again, um, driven by bundling. However, so quite a lot of the smaller players are actually suffering losses there, um, more substantially so than in Q4 last year. So pre- presumably there's some level of substitution going on there. People are switching to the newer telco-led services as opposed to the, the, the local cable services. Yes, um, and, and, and we're also still seeing growth uh, across um, the OTT services, so I, the iQIYI, Tencent video, etc. Thank you very much, Toby. That's um, that's been very interesting, and I'm sure we'll have updates over the next few weeks as more of the quarterly figures uh, are published around the world. Um, Guy, if I could turn to you now, you've been effectively taking us a step back from from all of this and looking at our wider sector forecasts and what's been going on there. What um, what can you tell us? Can you tell us a little bit about the analysis you've been running? Yeah. Hi, Richard. So I've been comparing prior forecasts with current forecasts, effectively looking for lost growth as a result of the impact of COVID on the wider entertainment industry, also encompassing the advertising sector. So by comparing our pre-COVID forecast to our current forecast, we can start to get an idea of which sectors are going to be hardest hit by the ongoing impact of the virus. Fundamentally, what it's shown 
is that there's about $160 billion of lost growth over the next five years as a result of the COVID virus. That $160 billion is a, is a huge figure. What, what can you say about how that's built up? Is that a cumulative figure or what we're expecting at the end of the process? Absolutely. It's a cumulative figure and it's made up of some sectors like streaming, for example, which are showing accelerated growth during this period. So it's not all negative. But the net effect is $160 billion over five years. And of course, the impact over that period varies. So we're seeing a very significant impact in 2020, actually an almost equal impact in 2021. And then the losses or the lost growth start to ease off over the last three years of the forecast period. So which which of the sectors that you've been looking at are, are particularly badly hit by this? Um, I think we've talked previously about advertising being being impacted is that one of the is that one of the areas that has been particularly affected yes so there's two ways to look at loss there's gross loss in terms of revenue and then there's proportional loss in terms of the value of the overall sector on on a gross basis absolutely advertising is taking a, a a big hit but then it's a very very big sector and over the five year period that nets out to about four and a half percent of prior forecast growth. But if you drill down into individual sectors, for example, the theatrical window, the impact there in money terms may be relatively small, but in proportional terms, it's actually very, very high. So over 11% impact on the growth of that sector over the five-year period. Now that's, that's quite interesting. And I suppose also that you've um, you, you've picked up on a theme there around the theatrical market that presumably has ramifications further down the chain for other elements of the the, the media market. We we've t- seen developments around premium video on demand releases bypassing theatrical in the past. Um, but what's your view on what what the knock on effect of, for instance, effects in the early windows for theatrical might be on other parts of the value chain. Yeah, so one of the things that this analysis threw up was how intimately interconnected every single portion of the media value chain is. So just thinking about theatrical, there are complex impacts and there are simple impacts. The simple impact, of course, cinemas are closed. So the theatrical business takes an immediate hit and loss of revenue. But the complex impact goes much further. If we think about this period of cinema closures, we've got two strategies being employed. Either studios are pushing releases to premium VOD and experimenting around that window, or for the biggest blockbusters, those releases are being pushed in terms of their release schedule into next year. So what we see is that next year, there'll be a backlog of movies looking for theatrical windows. And there's only a finite number of cinema chains and a finite number of opportunities to release. So what might that, um, what might happen as a result is that studios will ease back on new movie production over the next couple of years as they clear that backlog. And that, of course, has a knock-on impact on everyone who is reliant on that content, from pay TV operators to streaming platforms to TV channels. So we could we could be beginning to see, or we could see the cascade of effects even three, four, five years from now, as all of the implications of the current 
lockdown and shutdown work their way through the, the industry. Absolutely. I think simply because of the way that the industry works on the basis of windowing, some of the impacts that we probably haven't even thought of yet will be coming out two, two and a half years down the line once we're out of this crisis. Very interesting. And is, is there anything else that you've picked up in the analysis? I mean, there are certain sec- other certain sectors that are, are proving more resilient than um than perhaps we'd anticipated or um you know for instance physical media uh, is going to be one area that's badly hit is this the final nail in the coffin yeah so i think you know that it's it's impossible to fully separate out uh structural changes that were ongoing anyway so physical media was not the most exciting growth area anyway um and that will be hit very very badly pay tv as well it's difficult to separate out some of that cord cutting that toby talked about that was ongoing anyway but pay tv for example we think will take about a 40 billion dollar hit um overall there are growth sectors like streaming but again some of that growth would have happened anyway i think the overall picture is that the impact of the virus is to accelerate some of the changes that were underway anyway and and really um, increase some of those changes that were going to happen. And that's really what what the overall impact of this crisis will be, both short-term and longer-term. Lovely. Well, thank you very much, Guy. That's fascinating. I'm going to turn now to Minal. Now, you've been doing some slightly different analysis, and it's not directly related to the pandemic, but I imagine it could have some significant consequences for the for the entertainment sector as more cash moves online, which, as guys just mentioned, appears to be a trend accelerated by the crisis. What can you tell us about your your research and what you're working on at the moment? Hi, Richard. Thanks for having me on. So I've actually been looking at SVOD account borrowing. So we're defining account borrowing as anyone who says that they're using a login for an online subscription platform from someone that they don't live with. Now, what we've seen over the last year is that this has globally been increasing and now more than one in 10 households are engaging with it. And that's just just to just to be clear about what we're talking about here. The, these are these are consumers who are borrowing logins for services like Netflix or Hulu or Amazon um, from a friend or colleague or relative, uh, and not paying directly themselves. Yeah, that's that's correct. So it could be any of those entertainment platforms. It could be sport platforms like the NBA's League Pass or NFL Game Pass. So it's covering a whole range of different um, entertainment sectors. So what what can you tell us about who's who's doing this? Um, who's actually borrowing these accounts? So I, I don't think you'll be too surprised to know that they are skewing young. Like over half of them are aged under thirty five. Um, And they do over-index for being students. So that includes both um, post-grad and undergraduate students. But what is interesting about this audience is that generally they're on par with the global average for household income. So it's you would kind of expect it to be maybe lower income households who maybe couldn't afford um, the subscription services and therefore they may be borrowing, but this isn't the case. So, you know, it does indicate that some of the households who are borrowing do have the disposable income available to um, buy them themselves. Now, that's interesting because when you first mentioned that they that it was more likely to be students, my first assumption was going to be that it was going to be 
income related, but from the sounds, it's it's not. Um, are, there, are there particular services that they're borrowing more than others? Can we, you know, the particular content types that are, are being um, subjected to the behaviour more than others? Yeah, absolutely. So sport OTT platforms are definitely more impacted than others. Um, in nearly all the consumer markets that we've looked at, sports services make up the top three accounts that are being borrowed. Um, so this this is quite interesting because you could have a few different reasons for this. It could be due to the seasonality of sport. It's only on for a certain period, so people don't want to invest in something. So maybe one person buys the account and then shares it out. Or it could be people who are casual fans and they may not watch enough to merit it. But what is also quite interesting about this is that borrowing these accounts isn't necessarily translating into large viewing volumes. So what I mean by this is that, say, for example, in a market, UFC Fight Pass is the most borrowed um, platform. When you then look at the top 10 online platforms viewed in the last month, it doesn't even make the top 10 or top 15. So people who are borrowing these accounts aren't heavy users of the platforms. So presumably they're, they're going in to access one specific piece of content they want to watch and it's it's more about the fact that they can't really justify that to themselves taking out a, a full subscription is, is that is that fair to say yeah definitely and i think that's why it's not necessarily seen as like wrongdoing because it's not something that a they would otherwise pay for or be watch enough to justify paying for it and how how big is the i mean you mentioned the number earlier on about 10 percent. how how big is that issue in sort of absolute terms are you able to put any numbers on the the, the, the households engaging in the behavior yeah so what what we've found is that approximately there are about 70 million households globally who are engaging with account borrowing now it, it might sound like a lot but what we've done is we've taken a bit of a step back to try and see, okay, these this proportion of people are borrowing accounts, but how many of them are also paying for SVOD accounts and how many of them have pay TV in the household? So what we found is that of the 70 million, actually around 35 million ha- are paying for an SVOD account at home and more than two thirds of them have got pay TV in the household. So they are still paying customers in some respect. It's not that they're just borrowing accounts and then doing nothing else. So how, I suppose, thinking about industry solutions, on one hand, you could say, well, actually, from the sounds of this, these are consumers who actually aren't really interested in that content and would be very difficult to convert. But on the other hand, there are clearly significant volumes of people essentially getting content free when they probably should or could could be able to pay. Are there, are there any solutions to this that you you can that you've picked up from the industry or from the research ways that um, the industry could could perhaps convince a few more of these consumers to convert over into you know, sharing some more of their cash at least? Yeah. So I think. Um, you know, we've started to see it, especially within sport in the UK. Now TV offers um, like one day passes. So the chance to just dip in and not have to pay for a full month or a full year. I think things like that could be quite good for this audience because, you know, we've seen that they are just casual viewers of some of the content that they're accessing. So having like lower one off um, subscription offers could be quite a good way. 
Or, you know, to Toby's point earlier, you know, we've seen bundling become a really big thing recently. And, you know, if you have an aggregator like Amazon or a pay TV operator who can bring all of this stuff under one roof and maybe offer a discount as a result of it, you might be able to persuade some of these more casual fans to take on those types of billing relationships instead. Excellent. Well, they sound like some practical recommendations there. Thank you very much, Renard. And that brings this week's episode to a close. I hope that was interesting for everyone listening. Um, Please join us next week when we'll be talking about more hot topics in the entertainment and communications market. (laughs) 